Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. And as we begin this time, we are going to emphasize the practice of fasting. And so throughout the sermon, you need to consider how you can take part in this practice. It's a spiritual discipline. It's something Christians should engage in. However, as I say that, I do know uh, that there are certain ways we think about food. Maybe even you're here today and you've struggled with eating disorder. Maybe, maybe mentally, emotionally, th- this topic is hard for you. And so um, I just want to say we don't want to take something that's good and godly uh, and cause it to exasperate problems in our life. Uh, and so uh, if that's you, uh, there's still the spirit of fasting uh, that I want you to hear today. And for all of us, it may not look the same as we practice it, as we work it out uh, in, our, in our lives uh, on a weekly, monthly basis, however we do it. But there is a spirit behind it and that we need to take note of. So Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken. James Braddock, who was a heavyweight boxer during the Great Depression. And Braddock began his career very, very successful. Won a lot of fights. Was an up-and-comer who eventually hurt his right hand. And that affected the way that he fought. It affected fights he was in, began to lose fights, eventually lost his career and had to retire from boxing. And it was the worst possible time for him to uh, lose his career or anyone to even lose their job. It was during the Great Depression. And so this well-known boxer went from being a successful heavyweight fighter to extreme poverty and found himself waiting in bread lines and working on the docks and trying to just scrounge up enough food to feed his kids. He tells the story of there were nights where him and his wife would not eat just so their kids could eat and have food. Well, eventually... Uh, Due to a last-minute cancellation, Braddock was offered this almost miraculously the opportunity to fight another fight. And he found out during the fight, as he had spent all of this time walking from job to job and trying to find work, that he had actually kept himself in good shape. And the type of work that he was called to do, he was in good shape, and his right hand had recovered. And so he won this first fight, which led to a string of other fights that he won until he finally found himself in a heavyweight fight with the champion, Max Baer. And before the fight, reporters asked him, what has changed? I mean, you were kind of this bum. You you couldn't win a match. You couldn't win a fight. Um, you, You had to quit. Um, what in the world changed with you? And Braddock answered the question. He said, now I know what I'm fighting for. And they said, well, what is that? Thinking he's going to give some motivational 
comments, that he's really found himself. What is it that you're fighting for? And he answered, milk. And he told the story, uh, stories of having to leave his house day after day and looking down at empty milk bottles on the front porch that he did not have enough money to refill so his kids would have food. And he said, seeing those milk bottles, I know now what I am fighting for, to feed my kids, to feed myself. I'm, I'm fighting for my life, and that's what changed. This man who literally lost it all, did not have enough to feed his family. He wasn't fighting for fame. He wasn't fighting for the title. wasn't fighting just because he enjoyed the sport. He was fighting to feed his family. Now, our lives in 2020, probably not as dire, probably not on any of us are in extreme poverty. But I wonder at the end of this year, are you more familiar with what you're fighting for? As we have had things that we love, even things that we would say are essential to our life, as we've had those things threatened and even taken away from us. And we would gather here today and we we would have a list of things that we miss that we were enjoying in February. Just the presence of others, large gatherings, hugs, conversations that don't have anything to do with everything that's going on. Just a normal conversation. (laughs) We miss those things. The, The ability to wake up in the morning and just go to school. Some of our kids never thought they would say that. But things that have been taken from us, and the reality is anything, anytime essential things, things that are the core of who we are, are threatened, are taken away, we are found realizing what is most important. When the essential is missing, the eternal becomes more significant to us. We feel it. We feel what is of most importance. And I would say this year in the life of our church, we have seen more spiritual growth than any other time. That's true. You, you don't, you don't, maybe don't see it. We have two services and now we're starting to fill both services up. And you'd say, oh, we're, we're growing numerically. There are a lot of things we didn't, weren't able to have this year. But I would say this is the year of the most spiritual growth in the life of our church. People who have uh, realized how important the gospel is to them, how important church is to them. You, you see people who, who are digging into the Word of God, who are praying. They've been forced to pray in some ways that, that they weren't before, and they're growing in their love for Christ, and they're sacrificing in ways that, that sometimes even blow my mind. And why is that? It's because we realize what we're fighting for. And the practice of fasting that we're going to look at is an intentional pursuit to fill that need in our gut. Literally. To feel that something is missing, that something essential is not there, and to fight to be reminded of what we are fighting for. Eternity. The Gospel. Things that last forever. We want those things to be real to us. And so we engage in this practice. And in verse 18... We read John's disciples 
and the Pharisees were fasting. Now, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin down by the river, who is praying or preaching this coming judgment, this kingdom that's going to come judge the world, and you must turn from your sin and admit that you deserve to be judged for your sin in baptism. And you must look to this kingdom in repentance as it comes in. This is John's message. And he's down by the river and he has this group of disciples who are out there with them. And one of the ways in which they look to this kingdom and they symbolize the sort of judgment that's coming is through fasting. We also see the Pharisees were fasting. Those, these were the people who they took the law and they added their own laws in an attempt to obey the law. And so they came up with all kinds of extra laws and they ended up holding those laws against the people and holding them up for their own self-glory. But here we see their fasting. This was probably a time before the Day of Atonement when a lot of people were fasting. But these two groups were often associated or around Jesus. And so people notice that they're fasting. Now, what is fasting? Well, fasting isn't something that only Christians do. But there is a distinctly Christian way to fast. People fast for all kinds of reasons, political reasons, religious reasons. You fast for your health at times. People have done it all throughout history for all kinds of reasons. But what is it? It's the renunciation of something good. Now, a lot of times people say, I'm going to fast. Well, what are you going to fast for? I'm going to fast from TV. I'm going to fast from my phone. I'm going to fast from uh, college football. And if you're a Tennessee fan, that's easy this year. You're just so bad. But fasting involves something that is essential to our life. Not just electronics. Those things aren't essential to living. It's doing without something that is good. And primarily food. And we do without food to display our need for God. We do without something we need to say, I need God more. And in the Old Testament, fasting often uh, was a symbol associated with repentance. We think about Jonah and we think about other prophets that are warning the people of God. God is going to judge you. He's going to come in and he's going to raise you to the ground and there's going to be nothing left. And the way to repent was to turn from your sin. And the way that you symbolized you were turning from your sin was you would sit in sackcloth and ashes. Which meaning meant you deserve to have all your... Um, all your possessions wiped away and left homeless on the side of the street in sackcloth and in ashes, burned to the ground. Everything that you own burned to the ground. And you would also fast to say, I deserve to be left with nothing, not even food. Isn't it interesting as we talk about John and we talk about these things, how important repentance of sin is in the Bible? You can't repent of sin if you don't preach about sin. So we try to do that here, and that's why. Because repentance is a part of the Christian life. And fasting was associated with repentance. But we also see, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus fasted. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. And he did so to say, I need something more than bread. And he would say to the serpent, man doesn't live on bread alone. And so he fasted to say, I need the word of God. I need the father's care. I will trust the father more than I trust even food. 
And Jesus also expects us to fast. When Jesus talked about fasting, he would say, when you fast. He wouldn't say if you did. He would say when. And so it's something believers do. And we do to cultivate our need for God. That's why you would fast. Fasting is to intensify your prayer life. Intensify it. Because you feel something's missing. And you feel that need. And you feel the desperation in your gut. So you cry out to God in prayer. It's an aggressive act. You see, often we think about fasting as just this dutiful thing that I have to just make it through the day and I'm just holding on tight. I can't wait till this day's over and then I can feast on Chick-fil-A biscuits. Yeah, there you go. That's the way we think about it. But we're not passive. We're not eating, but we're engaged in prayer. We're, we're, we're emptying our gut to be full in prayer. Which is also why the Word of God has got to be central to our fasting. I need God's Word more than food. And so I'd ask you today, what are things in your life that you would even write out and list? Or that you think about in this moment? Things in your life that you need more than food? Or what are the things in your life that you think you need more than food? Or put it this way, what are the things right now, if you could give up a meal for, you would do it, no problem. I would, I would give up a meal, God, if you would just do this. What are the things you are that desperate for that you would say, I need this more than food? Is there sin in your life that you've struggled with? It's just still there, indwelling sin. And you try to get past that sin. And you're frustrated with that sin. Why do I keep doing this? How desperate are you to repent of that sin? Would you fast in desperation and calling out to God that He would take that sin from your life? How desperate really are you? For parents here today, it may be the salvation of one of your kids. There could be nothing more important in your life for your kids, that they would believe in Jesus and be saved. Now, I know the Sunday school answer is that's what you want for them more than anything. But do you really want it? Do you pray for it? Would you fast for it? Would you say, God, I am so desperate for this. Would you save them? Maybe we just look at the world around us. and We want all this to be over. This, the virus, the elections, it all. I just want it back to normal. Do you really want it? We like to vent about it. I'm done. We, we like to say that. But are you really? How desperate are you for God to move in our country and in the world? How desperate are you that God would really heal our land of this sickness? How desperate are you? How much time have you spent in prayer over it? Would you do without food for it? That's the question. What do I need more than food? And the answer is you need God more than food. And this is why when you fast, it must be full of the Word of God. Giving yourself over to Scripture. Fasting isn't a gimmick to twist God's arm. You're not proving to God something. You're proving to you something. I need God more than food. And so I'm going to be in the Word of God. And I'm going to be crying out to Him in prayer. 
God is better than food. That's why you fast to prove that those are the things you need. Notice the text continues. When people see these disciples fasting, they come to him and they say, Why do John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And so they see these other folks fasting, but they see the disciples and they, they don't fast. You see, we very clear on what John's disciples are doing. They're turning from the judgment that's coming. And then you would have noticed the Pharisees fasting. They would do it for appearance. If, if Instagram existed during that time, you, the Pharisees would walk around with selfies rubbing their tummy. I'm so, so hungry. They would take on a gloomy face so everybody would know that they were fasting. They would make sure that everyone knew it. And so they see it. They see what's going on down by the river with John's disciples and the Pharisees. They see it. And so the question is, what in the world is going on with your disciples, Jesus? You're this rabbi. You're this teacher. And this also indicates that fasting was central to a religious experience. But Jesus' disciples are not fasting. Why not? Verse 19, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as the bridegroom is with them, they cannot fast. Now notice that. They cannot. Jesus, he says, it's impossible for my disciples to fast. Because I'm with them. I'm here. What else are they going to long for? You see, during this time, weddings were these week-long events, and they were some serious blowout parties, extravagant. Now, we go to someone's wedding. Most of us get to sit there and attend and observe something, and we may get some, you know, some finger food at the reception, but it was a week-long event, and you wouldn't dare ask one of your friends to be a part of your wedding and make them have to do something. So the next time you're asked to be a bridesmaid, say, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to come and we're going to party. And we're going to eat. It was a week-long event. And often, at some point during the week, the groom would have been escorted into the party. The groom has arrived. And, and Jesus says, now is the wedding feast. I'm here. This is a time of celebration. We're not mourning we're not weeping. We're not longing for something we don't have. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm with my disciples. The kingdom is at hand. But then he says, verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast on that day. He said, we're happy. We're celebrating right now. I'm here. But there's going to come a day where I will be ripped from their presence. I will be gone. And on that day when that tragically happens, my disciples will be left in despair. They will be so sad that they won't want to eat. And we see that on the cross. We, we see Jesus' disciples leave him and the only one there is John with his mother and he is weeping as Jesus is crucified. And as Jesus' body is taken and put in the ground, we find the stories of the disciples and they are fearful and they are in despair and they are wondering what is going on. And there is a depression that sinks into the story. And Jesus says, that's what it's going to be like. They're going to be so depressed they can't eat. 
But we are here and we know Jesus was raised from the dead. And we believe that he has ascended to the right hand of God. And while we believe the gospel, we also long for another day when the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom has been here, but the story's not over. He's coming back. And that is what we long for. And it is his first coming that calls us to long for his second coming. We celebrate the first coming. In the presence of Jesus' flesh and blood, we have seen love and compassion that we've never seen before. In flesh and blood, and we celebrate the joy of His presence. We have seen the power of His Word to cast out sin, sickness, and death as He has healed diseases. Cast out demons, controlled nature. He has raised the dead. And we have seen a window into the kingdom that the groom is bringing to his church. And we long for that because we've seen it. We've tasted it in his first coming. And he said, even though he's not here, there's still a fast for us. Because while we've seen it, we know it's not the end of the story and there is more coming. There's still an empty feeling in our gut. As we're left here waiting for him to return. Do you feel that? Do you feel an emptiness in your life, in this world? Just just something's missing. Jesus would say it's because the bridegroom's yet to return. And there's a longing in every Christian for it to happen. If I ask you this question, do you feel, do you need to feel your need for Jesus more than anything? Because all the things that I would ask you, what do you need most today? And the world would answer that question in all kinds of ways. We need a vaccine. We need this person in charge. Some of the kids here today, I need the iPhone 12, PS5. I need it. What do you need? If I ask you today, would you trade that for Jesus? Some of you would be tempted to say yes. Because there are things in your life that you want so badly and you believe in this moment because we're momentary creatures who want what we want right now. You believe that need is so great. You would be tempted to say, I'll take it. I'll take it. And that's what sin is. It's taking the moment and walking away from Jesus. But what do you what do you feel that you need more than Jesus even right now? Do you feel like you need to get to the next stage in life? Do you feel like you need the next thing that's coming? Think about this year. How many things have been just put on hold? I graduated. I don't even know where I'm going to be working. We're like in a parenthesis. We don't know what's going to happen next. We're just waiting and we're longing and we want that answer. We check our email and we look at our text and we call the office and we do this. When are we going to know? 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 When are we not going to have to wear a mask? When are we going to be able to sit in a classroom side by side? When are we going to be able to kiss our students on their head again? When are we going to be able to do all this? When? And you long for those things. Do you long for them more than the return of Christ? You see, what fasting does is it takes those longings and tunes them toward the coming of Jesus. That's what it does. I'm going to be, I'm going to empty my stomach to be reminded how empty this world is without Jesus. I'm going to forsake 
a meal. I'm going to forsake food to be hungry so that I can pray, God, help me be more hungry for your kingdom. As, as I think, I, I can't wait till this fast ends. I can't wait to get the chicken and biscuit. I can't wait to, to sit down with the family at the meal. You know, we're going to end this fast with steak and baked potatoes and mac and cheese and uh, biscuits and gravy. I can't wait to that moment. And you feel your gut churning as you go throughout the day. Will you just stop and not look to the steak? You say, God, would you put that same desire in me for your kingdom? That hunger and that thirst, would I long for you to return in the same way when I will feast with you, when I will feast with Jesus in the presence of his church forever. God, would you do that in me? Would you overwhelm all the things that I think I want? And I would want your kingdom more. Would you purge me of all the things that I think I need and cause me to see my need for the return of Christ more than anything. That's what fasting does. That's what it is. That's why we engage in it. And Jesus explains even further, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. And he begins to talk about sewing and using patches on old garments. And I hope I can explain this. Never sew. Don't understand it all. But we'll try. If he does, the patch tears away from it. And the new from the old and a worse tear is made. And so Jesus says, you, you have this old garment that you wear all the time and you, all of a sudden there's a hole in it and you have to patch it up. Well, the old garment is worn. It's already been shrunk down. Well, you, you don't put a patch on it that's going to shrink it itself. Because when it does, it's going to rip the garment. And his point here is the new doesn't fit on the old. The new way of doing things, the new way of fasting isn't the old way. There's something new that would rip the old way of doing things, that would tear it to pieces if you tried. Verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. At this time, wine was stored in animal skins. And he says, if he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. So are the skins. But new wine is for fresh skins. And so you would put wine in an animal skin and as it fermented and expanded, the skin would expand. Well, you couldn't take that skin and then pour more wine in it because as it expanded again, it would bust open. Again, the point is the new wine of doesn't fit in the old wine of doing things. There's something new that goes on in Christian fasting that doesn't happen in any other fasting and has never happened in human history. Why? Jesus has come. The kingdom has come. We have what we are longing for, and that is to show up in the way that we fast. Jesus' point here, we've even seen in Mark already, is Jesus doesn't fit into the old way of doing things. Remember, he goes into the synagogues, and they have the Scripture, and they have their interpretation of the Scripture, and they have their traditions. And he stands before them, and he says, all of these things are pointing to me. So you, after you've seen me, the fulfillment of your scripture in flesh and blood, you can't turn around and have Bible study the same, like I don't exist, because I exist. 
You can't teach the law because I fulfilled the law as if I don't exist. You can't talk about the prophets longing for a kingdom to come when you've seen me. There's a new way of seeing things. I don't fit in your old way of doing things. And he would even say to John's disciples, they're repenting of a judgment that's come. I'm the kingdom in flesh and blood that saves you from the judgment to come. And so you can't think about that judgment the same anymore because I'm standing in your presence. I'm the one that will judge you, but I'm also the one that will rescue you. And he would say to the Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. You walk around and you try to make yourself sad. You ain't sad. You, you, think, you're, you think with your plastic religion you're pleasing God. And your fasting is plastic. It's like whitewashed tomb and on the inside is dead. This new vibrant kingdom doesn't fit in that way of doing things. Now there's a celebration. The way my disciples fast is they fast for a celebration. They are fasting for something they already have. And it's not fake artificial joy. It's deep soul transforming joy. Jesus says hope in him doesn't fit in the old way of doing things. The joy and celebration of the kingdom doesn't fit in the mourning and despair that was associated with fasting. The garment of despair, the garment of mourning would be ripped with the hope of the kingdom if you tried to do it that way. You would you wouldn't you can't make yourself hopeless because you have the kingdom. And he says, the vibrant wine of the kingdom explodes the old skin of despair. You've tasted the kingdom in my presence. The spirit of God lives within you. And so you can't go through the traditions and you can't go through those without understanding that you do have hope and you do have joy in the gospel. And that's what makes Christian fasting different. There is joy to it. You see, the old way there was repentance and mourning over sin. But the Christian fast in light of the gospel. That's why it should be gospel-centered fasting. You do repent of your sin. The, the, the hunger in your gut is to remind you that you have hungered for things of this world that have not filled you up. You thought you need it. That thing... You sinned. You pursued it. You chased after it. You glutted your life on that sin. And now you're just bloated and miserable. And your belly is empty. The world hasn't satisfied. You do experience that. And you turn from that way of living, but not in hopeless despair. You say the world has left me empty, but the gospel has filled me up. And so in your fasting, you're turning to be full of the gospel. And you're reminding yourself that you're not sitting around in sackcloth and ashes waiting to be destroyed by God. But you are standing in the righteousness of Christ and He has clothed you and He will rescue you. That's what you do as a Christian. Is you empty yourself of sin and you turn from sin and you turn to the gospel. You're not waiting on judgment. You've already been judged at the cross. Christian fasting should be gospel-centered fasting focused on the work of Christ, but also delighting in the goodness of God the Father. We talked about things that you would ask God for, and you would say, God, 
I want this more than I want my next meal. And you should be honest with God that there are things in your life that you desire that much. You don't just hide those desires before God. He knows them. And you say, God, I want this. I think this is right. I think this is the best course of action. I think this is what I need to do as a Christian. And you express those desires to God. He wants to hear them. He wants you to have to wrestle with those things too before Him. Because the promise Jesus gives us when we go before the Father and we say, God, I need bread. He's not going to give you a stone. And when you go before the Father, you say, I need fish. He's not going to give you a serpent. Now, what's the point? What's the point Jesus is making? He's going to give you what you need. He's not going to give you what harms you. But that doesn't always mean He gives you what you want. He gives you what you need. And you can pray. God, this is what I want. But you must do so remembering He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you what you need. And you're cultivating that trust. You see, one of the things fasting is, it's like at Christmas or whenever, birthdays, you give your kids the toys. And they just claw them to pieces. Just opening them up, boxes, wrappers everywhere. And they get the, the thing. I don't know what kids want now. The phone, the, the, the toy, whatever it is. You, you got it, right? And they be, immerse themselves in the thing. They, they, they love it. And, and they're consumed with it. To the point that they often forget who gave it to them. Now, as parents, we're okay with that at times. But fasting is setting the thing down, which is food that God gives us, and focusing on the one who gave it. And remembering, you're the one that gives me the food. And God, I have enough food. That I can focus on you. I can do without it to cultivate time with you. I can release myself from that. To remember you are a good father and you're going to take care of me. You're going to do the same you do for the flowers and the birds. You're going to make sure I have clothes. You're going to make sure I have food as long as I need it. Now I may want it longer, but you're going to make sure it's in your time and you're going to take care of me. If this, is, this is not... This is not in me. I, I don't, I'm a doer. When there's a problem, I want to fix it. And I think I can fix every problem. If you just let me, let me get after it and I'll fix it. And that's the way I live my life. And so I have a tendency with things that I'm worried about, things that I'm anxious about, things that I won't fix, not to pray about them, not to remember God's in control. God's the one that gives these things anxious about things, to be reminded he's good. This morning, our electricity went out at 5.30. Sorry, Tyler, I know you've been up all morning. Um, but our electricity went out at 5.30. And you know that silence in your home, like electrical outage silence is like the, the most silence ever. And I can't sleep without three fans in my room. Literally, it's, it's, it's like you're in a hurricane when you walk in my room. 
And so everything is silent. So I can't sleep. And so what did I do? And I know some of you are saying, well, you probably got up and you prayed. And you studied for the sermon. No, I laid there and I worried. Worried about when Tyler's going to get my electricity back on. Worried about, am I going to get up and be able to have coffee? I, I mean, that is the one, that's the first thing I thought about. That you can't make coffee without electricity. I'm not even going to be able to see to fix my hair. And I, wor- I begin worrying about those things, and it cultivates more worry and more worry and more worry and more worry. When the reality is, in the silence, what should I have been doing? There are no distractions. None. Silence. What did I do? I worried. Well, fasting is to silence the world. Fasting is to get rid of even the distraction of food and fight those anxieties to focus on the Father who has given you everything, who is taking care of all of your needs. And how do you know He'll take care of you? Because He's given you the kingdom. He's given you everything in Christ. The Father did not answer Jesus' prayer in the garden, let this cup pass from me so he can answer all of your prayers in the kingdom. He will give you everything you need eventually. And he's proven it in the cross and the resurrection. And how do you know it's true? Because he's given you the spirit now. And so we're focused on the work of Christ. We're focused on the father, but our fasting must be spirit filled. And to be spirit filled, our fasting must be word filled. Word filled. I mean, full glutted with the word. Jesus is in the spirit rest upon him in his baptism. What does he do then? He fasts for 40 days. And then what is the first thing he says to Satan when he's tempted? Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And believe me, I've been experiencing that for the last 40 days. The promises of God reminding him. Jesus, when he's tempted, how does he fight temptation? We like to say, with the word of God. But it's more than that. It is the word of God that defined who Jesus was, the son of God. What is Satan saying to him? If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. No, Jesus glutted on the word of God, remembers who he is, and he shuns the temptation of Satan. Because he says the word of God defines who I am, not Satan. And that's some of your biggest struggles. You don't read your Bible. You don't. And you allow the noise, the news, the Twitter. Now we got parlor. We're going to allow all of that to define things for us. The emails, the text messages. The complaints, we allow others to define us. And we wonder why we're so racked with anxiety. We wonder why we're so fearful. It's because we forgot who we are. And we're not in the Word of God reminding ourselves who Jesus is. And His story becomes our story when we believe in Him. And so we need to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus' story. We've been crucified. We've been raised from the dead. We've been given an eternal inheritance in Christ. We have to remind ourselves of that by being in the Word of God. And the more you remind yourself of that, the more you're going to long for the kingdom He's given you. 
I want to encourage you this week. Just fight to do this. Get away. Turn the phone off. Drop kick it into the backyard. You purge your life of those things that are distracting you. I feel like a hypocrite because I forgot my Bible this morning. But I have it on here. But just get alone with a Bible that, that has real pages that you can touch. And it's just words. And there are no notifications. There are no text messages. There aren't, there's nothing to distract you. And you're glutting yourself on the Word of God. And you're saying, I need this more than I need food. I need this more than I need anything else. That's where the Spirit works in your life. We like to talk about being Spirit-filled. Oh, I need to feel emotional. Oh, I need to put in my Passion CD. Oh, I need to, I need to put in the Gaithers. Oh, I need to do all this, and I'm just going to get full on the Spirit. Well, if you're not opening your Bible, you will never be full of the Spirit because the Spirit wrote the Bible. Back in Tennessee for just a moment there. So, a little tent revival action, maybe. But... But I see folks who are in such despair who've never cracked the page on the Bible. And that's where the Spirit does His work. And one of the things the Spirit does as we engage in the Spirit in the Word of God is He reminds us who we are. Paul says that the Spirit is the seal of the inheritance that you have in the kingdom. God says, I've adopted you as a son. How do you know it? The adoption paper is the Spirit of God, but it's not just paper. It's His presence in your life. And He's constantly reminding you are a son. You're not a slave. God is a good Father. He's not your master. And the Spirit reminds you of what you have. And as the Spirit does that with the Word of God, you begin to groan to go home. Because what Jesus would say is, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. How will you see me? How will you see Jesus now? We would say now is not a time of mourning. Sadness, it's celebration. How are we going to celebrate? Jesus says, because I live it, because I live, you will also live. And it is the spirit of God that lives within you. And Paul says the spirit of God does this, that it the Spirit lives within you and what you are longing for, the presence of what you are longing for is present within you. And what the Spirit does is call you to scream out, Abba, Father, which is come rescue me from this hell hole. I don't want to live here anymore. This orphanage stinks. Get me out of here. And you can do that, not in despair, in sadness, but with great joy. Because you know it's true and you know it's coming and you've tasted it in the Word of God and the Spirit. And so you long for it and you cry out for it. Then you say, I need it more than I need food. I have friends who've walked into orphanages and there's dead silence. See, I used to think even before we adopted Jonah and Isaac that walking into an orphanage, somehow my twisted mind, I thought it would be a joyful experience. Kids running around playing. They got smiles on their face and they're happy. But in so many parts of the world, what happens in orphanages is the kids stop crying. What are you crying for? Nobody's coming to feed you. Nobody's coming to change that diaper. And so you walk in these orphanages and it's silent. And it's gut-wrenching as you look at kids just staring blankly. Child of God, that's not you. 
that's not you. But I wonder today if you've stopped crying. I wonder today if you've stopped longing. I wonder today if you've stopped praying for the kingdom to come. I wonder if you're acting like an orphan. Are you acting like an orphan? When you see things messed up in this messed up world, what is your first response? To whine, complain, and vent, or say, come Lord Jesus, come! That's what a child of God does. Screams for the Father to come. Not because we're orphans. Not because we're hopeless. But because we remember what we're fighting for.